You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It is 6 p.m. Monday, April 19th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, Racial Reckoning reports on the chaos gripping Minneapolis as jury deliberations begin in the Chauvin trial. For tax season, the California report offers handy filing information for the unemployed. National Native News reports on a University of Utah study confirming that indigenous practices can help control wildfires in a time of drought. After a roundup of regional news and weather, we'll take a walk in the park with Sid Brown. This is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Faven Gorinskaher with today's update. Protests echoed across the Twin Cities metro area this weekend, calling for justice for victims of police brutality and for de-escalation of the law enforcement initiative called Operation Safety Net. We don't need your operation. We don't need your operation. No more military occupation. On Friday night, state troopers, National Guard, and local police arrested more than 100 protesters outside the Brooklyn Center Police Department. In the process, they also arrested medics and physically assaulted reporters, drawing widespread criticism. Amidst the chaos, however, people were able to find some solace. On Saturday, artists and healers hosted a community event at the Memorial for Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center. Minneapolis resident Maya Hartman said, It's been an emotionally exhausting week. I feel really tired, but I am really grateful to be in this space today where I can once again be reminded of the fact that there is hope and there is really community and we are here to look out for each other and at the end of the day, that's what's gonna find us liberation. St. Paul resident Davu Seru said he is also hopeful because he has to be. I'm familiar with what it looks like when the system fails people too, too many times and particularly when it seems rather obvious what the right thing to do is. And because of procedure, we get stuck in the same cycle of denial and don't do what's right. He says the right thing to do would be to convict Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd. The jury will begin deliberating its verdict after closing arguments. Meanwhile, the funeral for Dante Wright is scheduled for this Thursday. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Favon Garazgihan. Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Tax day is less than a month away, and for out-of-work Californians who still haven't filed their returns, the process could feel extra complicated. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin asked a Bay Area tax expert what she's telling her unemployed clients. Amy Spivey directs UC Hastings' low-income taxpayer clinic. She says if you still haven't gotten around to filing, definitely get it done ASAP. With all the other stresses of the past year, Spivey's worried people might be tempted to skip out on taxes. And sometimes it's a snowball effect. They don't do one year and then it it causes anxiety and then they just don't do them for a couple of years. By now, the Employment Development Department should have sent you your 1099-G form. That's a record of the total taxable income EDD has issued you in a calendar year. If you haven't gotten this yet, you can find it via your UI Online account on EDD's website. 
Since EDD has already been fleeced out of tens of billions of dollars in false claims, there's a chance you might get a form that has benefits on it that you never received. If this happens, you should report it to EDD. But if you've tried and still haven't gotten an amended 1099-G, Spivey says to just go ahead and file your return. But don't list any benefits you didn't actually get. If there's a mismatch between what you filed and the records the IRS has for you, the IRS will follow up. And then at that point, you could respond directly to the IRS as well. Although, you know, the downside is it could delay a refund. Many tax clinics like Spivey's have been confined to virtual support during the pandemic, which she says adds challenges for those who might need this help most particularly seniors, people experiencing homelessness. So I'm just afraid those people are going to fall through the cracks. If the barriers to filing right now are just too high, think about an extension. It will give you till October 15th to file. And by then, as the pandemic continues to wind down, there could be more in-person help available at free and low-cost groups like Spivey's. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. A CDC advisory panel is expected to meet this week and will likely decide whether to resume administering the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. This comes after federal health officials paused the use of the J&J vaccine last week to investigate if it was connected to serious blood clots in six women who had recently been vaccinated. That news sparked what many experts called a perfect storm for misinformation at a time when millions of Americans are already skeptical about the vaccination process. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with CUNY School of Public Health lecturer Scott Ratson about some practices when it comes to educating the general public about vaccines, particularly during a pandemic. Vaccine literacy is something that we've actually developed uh, actually initially at Harvard in the um, Harvard Business Review in 2011. And since that time, it's evolved into a whole new area, particularly as vaccines have become so fundamental as a foundational element to address COVID. And vaccine literacy also deals with the skills and abilities of people, but also the need to align with the content and the processes that we have in our complex health systems so that people can understand what vaccines do, know why and when they should choose vaccines, and thirdly, why vaccines are fundamental both at the policy level, whether it's school-based, public policy, or even you know global policy of, of how we're able to live in this world when we have viruses and new pathogens that threaten our future. With all the disinformation that's been circulated throughout the pandemic, about both the vaccine and the virus itself. Is there a way to help people wade through all of this? We would hope that there would be an easy way to wade through the mis and disinformation or fake news that's been out there. 
And unfortunately, this is not a new phenomenon. The uh, people that have been challenging vaccinations have been around for centuries, but they've been given new oxygen with the social media activities, as well as the challenge that came in through medical science of the idea that, that vaccines could be tied to autism. So this oxygen, while it has been, shall we say, quelled by science, nonetheless lives in the minds of conspiracy folks and others who want to challenge current science in the vernacular. There are a lot of people across the country who are anti-vaxxers. How do you go about talking to these people? People think about what it is to be against vaccines for a variety of reasons. Many of them are steeped in their mind in science, other in religious beliefs, others in conspiracy theories and ideology. But overall, when you look historically, if people remember, and most of us don't remember when smallpox was a plague on the planet or um, polio, people don't remember some of the, the realities of disease that were prevented by vaccines. So we have a new awakening and saying that that regard, we need to deal with this on multiple levels. We need to have school-based programs early on that remind people the fundamentals of science and how, uh, how disease spreads and how we, we stem disease and some simple hand-washing, which doesn't exist uh, across the country or world in a similar way that we all might have been brought up, just as other hygiene and other pieces are out there. So I'm, I'm answering it in a long-winded approach that this is complex. This won't go away with Smokey Bear or campaign for you know tobacco-free kids or this is your brain on drugs. This needs to have a fundamental societal approach. That was Scott Ratson, a distinguished lecturer at CUNY School of Public Health. Scott, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much, Keith. And finally, please consider joining KQED and the nonprofit journalism venture Cal Matters for a special virtual event on the future of campus policing. That event is happening this Wednesday at 6 p.m., and you can register to attend and share your questions at kqed.org slash events. And that is the California Report for this Monday. I'm Lily Jamali. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous management practices have been preventing wildfires in the West for more than a thousand years. The Mountain West News Bureau's Savannah Marr reports that new research gives more detail on how that worked. The study from the University of Utah focuses on what anthropologists call the Fremont Indians, probable ancestors of today's Ute, Paiute, and Shoshone people. Researcher Vichelle Carter says sediment testing showed how they used fire to alter the landscape of high-elevation forests in what is now central Utah. They were likely using frequent burning to increase crop yields to benefit their population growth. Carter says those small, controlled burns also helped prevent large wildfires during a period of drought. That doesn't come as a surprise to contemporary indigenous communities in the region. They're just reconfirming what we already know. Teresa Greger is a professor of American Indian Studies at California State University, Long Beach. She says there's a lot to be learned from indigenous fire management practices, but many have been suppressed by the U.S. government. Greger says policymakers should work with contemporary Native people to revive and implement those practices. And maybe start with the point of, we know your ancestors did this for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, what can we do to assist you in bringing these practices back if you're not doing it already? For National Native News, I'm Savannah Marr. 
In Indiana, the remains of more than 700 Native Americans have been returned to the Angel Mounds State Historic Site. The Evansville Courier and Press reported Indiana University worked with several tribal nations, including the Quapaw Nation, the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma, the Miami Tribe of Oklahoma, and the Shawnee Tribe to return its collection of remains from an archaeology laboratory where they had been since 1971. The remains were unearthed in 1939 at a site near the Ohio River with the aid of workers from the Works Progress Administration. The repatriation took several years to organize and was done to comply with the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA, which mandates that Native American human remains and cultural items be returned to tribal nations. In Virginia, a new state park has been dedicated that will allow not only recreation, but the chance to learn about the area's Native American history and culture. The Tidewater Review reports Governor Ralph Northam joined chiefs from Virginia's Native American tribes and conservationists to dedicate the Machacomico State Park on Friday. The governor said the 643-acre park will help educate visitors about indigenous history and culture as the state works to address historical injustices to those communities. Virginia worked with 11 tribes in the state on the park's creation. The name in Algonquin means a special meeting place. Chief Stephen Adkins of the Chickahominy tribe spoke on behalf of the tribes and praised the governor's efforts. Never in its existence has a commonwealth designated a site so replete with rich native history as Machicomico, a site to be a venue for providing the public with experiential interpretations of the many historical and cultural aspects of early indigenous life in this land we call Sinacomaco. The National Congress of American Indians announced Dante Desiderio will be the organization's new chief executive officer. Desiderio is a member of the Saponi tribe and previously served as executive director of the Native American Finance Officers Association. He has advised tribal leaders and federal officials on tribal economic policy issues, including tax and finance, tribal enterprise development, gaming and entrepreneurship. He replaces Kevin Alice, who stepped down last year. NCAI President Fawn Sharp said Desiderio will help the nonprofit navigate the future, especially with regards to future opportunities under the recently passed American Rescue Plan. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Community Environment is Sacred is a series of on-demand films portraying a Native revolution to environmentally align with nature in celebration of International Earth Day. Available through April 30th at visionmakermedia.org who support this show. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This afternoon, the Nevada County Public Health Department is reporting 31 new confirmed COVID-19 cases since Friday. 96 cases are active at this time. Two people are hospitalized, both in intensive care. According to Ubinet.com, 62,477 vaccine doses have been administered to Nevada County residents, including both first and second doses. 25,674 Nevada County residents are fully vaccinated, including 15,272 people age 65 and older. 
Nevada County Habitat for Humanity is opening applications for people interested in buying an affordable home. An application information meeting is scheduled for Wednesday at 4 p.m. on Zoom. The meeting will be an opportunity to learn more about the details of Habitat homeownership. To sign up to attend or to fill out the two-page pre-application form, go to the website nchabitat.org. Habitat homes are affordable because they are built by volunteers working in partnership with future homeowners. Nevada County Habitat for Humanity has completed 38 homes in the county since it was organized in 1995 by community government and church members to address the need for affordable housing. In the weather for our region, mostly sunny and warm during the week with temperatures dropping by Saturday and rain in the forecast for Sunday. Isolated thunderstorms are possible in the Sierra on Tuesday and Wednesday. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with light and variable winds and a low of 55 degrees. On Tuesday, sunny with a few clouds and a slight chance of a rain shower with a high of 68 degrees and a low of 52. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 29 degrees. Early Tuesday, Truckee will be mostly sunny with a high of 59 and a low of 29. Clouds developing later in the day, along with a 40% chance of showers. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low near 50 degrees. Tuesday in Sacramento, mainly sunny with a high of 79 and a low of 51. Gusty winds are expected in the northern Sacramento Valley Tuesday, which could increase fire concerns. Rosebuds, butterflies, gift shops. To end our newscast, Sid Brown of Sierra Gold Parks Foundation clues us in on the seasonal secrets of our three local state parks. Well, welcome to A Walk in the Park. This is Sid Brown with Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. I'm happy to share some news with you all about our three Western Nevada County State Parks. That's Empire Mine State Historic Park, Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, and South Yuba State Park. You know, what's coming up this week of note is Earth Day. You know, you can participate in Earth Day every single day. You don't have to go to the park or any park on that particular day, but you can sure show your appreciation for this lovely planet where we get to live and just do what you can to to give back to the Earth. If it's going on a picnic, appreciating your environment, bringing an empty garbage bag when you go to the park and Fortunately, the uh, material that you may find there that others may have left inadvertently. You know, it's interesting. Some of the most common new litter items I've been seeing on the trails are, guess what? Masks. Yep. So if you're sticking a mask in your pocket, make sure it gets in your pocket, and hopefully people are not going to have to pick up after you. Well, all three parks in Western Nevada County are open and have been open throughout this entire pandemic We have some interesting new things happening and some good news at Empire Mine State Historic Park. We are now reopening the gift shop or the sales center, which is right near uh, the main entrance when you come into the state park, when you go into the historic core area. There's a, a lovely little gift shop there, and we are 
staffing it with volunteers and with park staff as needed on Saturdays and Sundays, and hopefully for more days as we get further into the spring, later spring, and certainly throughout the summer. I worked there just last Sunday, and I was amazed at all the people that came in from all over, you know, not just Nevada County, that come to see our state parks, and the little children who just love all the minerals and little um, keepsakes to remember their, their visit at Empire Mine. Let's see, we are requiring masks indoors, and uh, we limit visitation in the sales center at Empire Mine to no more than five people at a single time. The roses are budding. They're not in bloom yet, but we are anticipating some lovely displays of the roses and the heritage garden and the heirlooms throughout the park. Malakoff Dickens Gift Shop has open now Thursday through Sunday from 10 to 4, and you can get some little keepsakes there as well as see all the beautiful trails at Malakoff Diggins. You know, one of the things at Malakoff is it's like a brigadoon. Malakoff is the state park, and inside the state park is the town of North Bloomfield, and it's like a little ghost town, our little secret quiet place with all these beautiful historic buildings and not a lot of people. So if you want to get away from the crowds, Malakoff Diggins is a great place to go. And South Yuba River State Park. Last week I reported that the Point Defiance Trail was closed due to a pedestrian bridge needing some repairs, and I have the good news to say that that repair has been made. So the full Point Defiance Loop is open. The Independence Trail off of 49, both east and west, still is completely closed to visitation, and it is well signed to that effect. So Please make sure you stay out of that area. Please allow our staff to do the work while they do the rehabilitation following the fire and use the trails that are available to you. One of the things I'd like to encourage people to do is to learn a little bit more about their environment. They may think they know all the trees and the plants, but I discover new things every day. And it's kind of fun when I'm on my hikes. I look at trees like they're old friends, and I kind of keep track. Well, there's a ponderosa pine. There's a Douglas fir. And look at that. There's a sugar pine I'd never noticed before. Speaking of plants, the poison oak is coming out in all its fine, shiny, itchy glory. So I advise people to to watch out for the poison oak. Pipevine swallowtail butterflies are out, and they're wonderful to see. I've seen them at all three parks, particularly down at Buttermilk Bend at Bridgeport, but you can also see them along the river near the Highway 49 crossing and up at Malakoff. Safety message. These days are warming up. The rivers are completely cold, and the snowmelt is underway. So we encourage people to please stay out of the water. It is still way too cold. The current is unpredictable. And also a reminder that glass and alcohol and fires are prohibited. So please do your part. Let's keep our environment safe and clean and keep you safe from the hazards that are in the river. Again, this is Sid Brown from Sierra Gold Parks Foundation. You can check us out on Facebook. You can see our website, sierragoldparksfoundation.org, and you can check out all the state parks at the state parks' websites. We all link together, and we are here to support our mutual, wonderful environment. Thank you.
That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, with stories of the blue code of silence that permits police violence in Australia. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR gets support from A to Z Hardware Supply and Garden Center, locally owned since 1984, offering household construction essentials, plus April's garden, a memorial lawn, and garden nursery for all seasons, with beekeeping and canning supplies. Ridge Road, Grass Valley, A to Z Supply.com. And Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. F-O-U-R-P-A-W-S-A-C.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Have a great evening.